Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Meg. I hope this podcast today finds you and yours well and safe and healthy and able to avoid the coronavirus. It's certainly a crazy day and age, um, but we continue to drive on and we'll continue working to provide you the best content possible. And hopefully this will be some value added and something to brighten up your day in these strange times. Today, we are sitting down with Megan Henry, a world-class U.S. skeleton athlete. She is currently training up to qualify for the Winter Olympics and is also serving as a military intelligence officer in the U.S. Reserve. So she's certainly got a unique experience when it comes to blending professional goals in the Army with professional goals as an athlete. So we spent some time today talking a little bit about how she's coping with this strange coronavirus time, training aspects and different considerations for her career, as well as providing a little advice for all of our female military athletes out there just looking for a boost. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Thanks for listening. To me, it is like an accomplishment that you've even like worked out already today. Like, granted... (laughs) Olympic athlete, but man, like, why does everything feel so hard right now, even with like theoretically more time off, you know? I know. I think it's probably because it's, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Like nobody really knows what, what's the drop dead date for this. Nobody has any clue. So it just makes it harder for you to even make any sort of time plan for anything. And like, even if it's just waking up in the morning on time, I think it it just becomes a chore for people. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because that's like a place that we have lived in often as like soldiers and like service members, where it's like I don't know what's happening next. I just keep my fingers crossed and you know look forward to getting my next paycheck. <laughs> but it's even worse now because it's not just you anymore it's not just like the service member that's kind of going through that unknown it's everyone around you yeah uh yeah it's uh well and i think that like obviously media makes things worse (laughs) but the fact that you can like sense the fear on people i i think that's also what makes it hard to deal with because you can tell that people are frightened or just unhappy and um you know it's like uh you can feel that i'm 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 at a loss for the word i'm trying to think of but yeah you can you can sense that from people it's kind of an unusual sense of dismay that is kind of rare Mm -hmm, Um, for sure i don't personally recall having seen such a vast sort of sense of unease since probably like 9-11 yeah, I was going to say that, like, 9-11. But even then, you know, the one cool thing about 9-11 was that it was really unifying. And that doesn't seem to be happening here. Like, I mean, to a degree, like, everybody's like, we're in it together and stay at home and, you know, all of these initiatives, so to speak. But it's it's not the same. Um, it, it's totally different. And I never thought that I would see something like this in my lifetime, truly. I never thought I'd see a pandemic or 
I, I don't know. I just thought I'd never. Well, same here, but it's, I think it's just because it's not commonplace and it's an inf- interesting reference you make to it's unifying, but it's not. And I think the difference primarily is like, it's not a concrete enemy anymore. Like it was, it's an invisible thing yeah. that any person that you love could be harboring that at any moment is going to like pop out and make you sick and make you a threat to other people. So, yeah. And so I think that you end up seeing, you know, when you go to the store, you see like strangers as a threat. So like everybody just immediately becomes a threat. Whereas like you said before, it was, we knew who it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's like, uh, it could be anybody. I find <laughs> myself self-conscious if like, I have really bad seasonal allergies and I'm nervous oh, and I'm going to sneeze it. around the wrong person. <laughs> don't and sneeze like, around oh, anybody. Don't cough. <laughs> they're going <laughs> to kick me out of the grocery store. Oh God. Yeah. It's insane. God, it's crazy. So I'll, I'll get the listeners caught up, uh, myself and Miss Megan Henry, when we started the recording, we're discussing um, essentially the, the wildness that is this current COVID-19 crisis. Um, but we've actually been trying to like sit down for a little while now. It's just like your, bu- your schedule was busy, then mine was busy. And it was like totally by accident that I found you on Instagram. But when I started doing a little bit of reading about, you know, you and what what you've got going on. I was like, man, we've got a lot in common. And like, it seems like she'd be a really cool chick. We got to talk. So I'm glad that we I mean, can. We the same name. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so do you go by Meg? Do you go um, by Meg as well? I, occasionally. Like as I think as I've gotten older, I've gone back to Megan. Um, I don't know why, but um, all while I was growing up, it was Meg. So I go either way. Gotcha. Okay. I have options. That's nice. I actually <laughs> grew up like always being called Megan. And then I remember when I got to college, I was like, this is an opportunity. There have always been like four other Megans in my class my entire life. And now I can introduce myself as Meg and be a little different. And so it stuck. So like everyone who met me in college or after knows me as Meg. And all my family and friends from prior (laughs) call me Megan. So, you know, you got to like assert yourself a little bit in college. (laughs) Um, Give me kiddings. I liked it. I think that's probably when I started to also use Meg more was in college. So maybe it's a college thing. <laughs> you got to like be open-minded and explore the opportunities. So sure. I found you, I found your Instagram and read about skeleton and then discovered that you are also an officer in mm-hmm. the, was it reserve or national guard? I'm reserve. Okay, so tell us a little bit about those like two gigs you got going on. <laughs> um, so I I was an athlete. I mean, growing up and then in college, I played field hockey at American University in D.C. And um, I kind of always thought about joining the army, and um, I even considered doing ROTC in college. But because I was already doing a sport, it was kind of like. I don't know, I would have zero life, you know, just the time commitments for the two things. So I ended up not doing it. And then when I was about to graduate, I was like, I was applying to a bunch of federal jobs and just jobs in general. So the the main consensus with the jobs that I was applying to is that everybody wanted me to have three to five years work experience or a master's degree, which they even said coming to an undergrad job fair. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> I don't have three to five years work experience. Um, so I left, I graduated right after I I graduated, I went home and I looked at all of the branches, but I ultimately decided that I would join the army because, um, 
I, I would guarantee the job that I wanted in my contract. So I, I actually enlisted first uh, as an intelligence analyst. And I was like, I'm going to join the reserves so that I can go to school at the same time. So I can have go to school and get my master's degree. And then while I was like first going through basic training and AIT, I, uh, I think I had just finished AIT and I was, um, starting my master's and somebody reached out to me, uh, and my, through my college coach actually recruiting people for bobsled. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just go try this. Like, why not? And, um, I went and I tried bobsled in Lake Placid, New York, which is where I'm, I'm stationed now. And, I, uh, they told me I needed to gain 30 to 50 pounds and I'm five foot two. So that's like, you know, completely unrealistic. (laughs) And, um, so I, I ultimately switched to skeleton and I didn't know at the time I I was like, I must've been wearing something that said army on it, or I don't know. Cause my head coach approached me and was like, do you know that the army has the world-class athlete program? So, you know, as you kind of progress along in the sport, you should consider that because you can basically like marry the two things. Um, and I had no idea that, you know, me going up and trying bobsled, I didn't have any, everybody, I think everyone who is an athlete at some point has aspirations of going to an Olympic games. Like that, that's the highest thing. Even if you're not an athlete, like it's still a cool thing to to dream about. Everybody's watched it from childhood and it's like this special like unifying thing across the world. Yeah. Totally. And it's like the most elite, you know, athletic event basically. Um, So I never, I didn't know at the time really what it would turn into. Um, So I like trying to shorten my story here a little bit, but basically uh, I progressed really well. Um, I I was the national champion in 2012. I like, I got into the Army World Class Athlete Program, which basically means that you're on active duty representing the Army as an athlete. And your sole mission is to try and qualify for an Olympic Games. And there's there's stipulations with that. Like, yes, I think I have the coolest job in the military (laughs) right now um, because there's certain standards that I have to meet for sure. And then if you don't make an Olympic team, then... um, no, you're not going to make it or you're not on track. They're going to, they're going to take you out of the program. So like you have to be meeting, meeting standards and stuff. It's like anything else. It's not like, okay, I'm in the world-class athlete program and I'm just going to be here forever. So I'm yeah. just going to be subpar and never make it to the Olympics. Right. Keep getting that paycheck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as much so, as everyone would like that. <laughs> right. Golly. I, I would take that job. So is there typically an expectation like time frame or window where like, man, you got two years to get to the Olympics or you're done in this program or what does that look like? So uh, I've actually been in and out of the program a couple of times. Um, when I was first in, so I actually experienced blood clots. I had pulmonary embolisms. Um, it was caused by birth control. So it sidelined me for a whole year. So uh, leading up to the 2014 games, I just, one, I was kind of like depressed because that happened. I, I missed a whole year of competition right after I won uh, national championships. And like coming back from that was super hard because skeleton, we only can do our sport six months out of the year. So it's it's really hard to come back from something. You, you just miss out on experience. Like people leapfrog you. you. You can't fabricate that experience and that time that you missed. 
um, which makes Skeleton really interesting and challenging at the same time. But um, so I missed out. I was not going to make the 2014 game. So I got out. Um, I was out for a year. So if you're like a reservist or a guardsman, you can be in the program for up to three years maximum. That's the 1095 rule for anyone who is aware of that. And then you have to get out for a year and then you can come back in. So uh, I've reapplied and they, you have to go through a whole application process and they reevaluate you and everything. So it's essentially, yeah, if you're not going to make the Olympic team, they cut you out <laughs> and then um, you're like, you're reevaluated constantly. Like, are you making standards? Are you making progress? These are, you know, the things that we want you to meet. Um, for example, this season, they were like, you have to basically win team trials or we are not going to keep you in the program. And I had just gotten in the program in, in September and my season started in October. So it was like, you have until December to make this happen. Golly. You know? so <laughs> this it, like the one it, thing it, I've it, ever seen in the army where it's like easy to get fired. <laughs> so every other category is like, that person is terrible. What the hell are they still doing here? Like, why can't they get fired? Well, I think it's because it's probably, and I don't know this for sure, but I think it's probably hard to justify the program when, you know, like we could be using, like, for example, look at what's happening right now. We could be using money for PPE right now or MREs or whatever. Um, So I think it's hard sometimes for, you know, someone higher up the chain to be like, why are we spending money on somebody to go to the Olympics? Like, I, I some think that's hard, but the whole purpose is for us to be, we are quote unquote elite, um, world class as it be. <laughs> and so I, I think the whole purpose is one to represent the army at the highest level possible. Uh, also for morale, increase morale, for, you know, either people who are deployed or even at home that who know us and meet us. Because, I mean, we go out and we do different missions, too, to kind of put a face to us. And then uh, three, I think also as a recruiting tool to be like, look at what these soldiers did. You know, for example, I wasn't doing skeleton before I was in the army first. And then uh, it just kind of fell in my lap. So, so I think uh, those are the three justifications for the program to exist. Well, it's a, it seems like a really cool thing that kind of opens up opportunities for people that otherwise are what you would consider excep- exceptional human beings that want to serve, but also still not hang up their jersey, so to speak, especially if they're, you know, if they've got a gift. So, yeah, I mean, by all means, I think it's a great program. And I can see how in conjunction with other, you know, recruiting efforts and public affairs efforts, it could be a really good thing, especially in these times where the military across the board is struggling to recruit people. Mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, it's this weird age where it's been a long time since our first big um, conflict, like really kicked off with like the ISIS fight of the recent few decades aside, like Iraq and Afghanistan started so long ago. I think there's not a generation that's, you know, the people that, would be raising their right hands at 18 years old right now, just yeah. didn't live through the same thing you and I lived through, which I'm making a lot of assumptions because about your age, because we've already talked about 9-11, but um, yeah, I'm 34, so I was like a... I'm 32. Uh, okay, so we were, you know, tweens, teens when that happened, 
Um, and so it was like this really strong drive to like, I can do something. Yes. And that, and that feeling lasted for 10 years after the war started. For sure. And I do like one of the reasons why, um, the military was always an interest to me is because I do, I do think it is like the most honorable thing you could do. Um, I don't know if everybody shares that feeling, but I, I do. I think that for me, you know, I have a, a very strong sense of pride. I'm very proud of my country. I, I'm so, so blessed to represent the United States, you know, one in, in my army uniform and then two for Team USA. I take that, you know, very seriously because I represent both of those entities. I try and uh, carry myself and act accordingly. And I think it helps dictate kind of my my morals and my values to be able to represent both of those things. Yeah, I think you're in a really cool position to see kind of a couple aspects of life, of American life that are like completely unique. And the average person doesn't serve in the military and the average person doesn't get to go to the Olympics. So really, in in a lot of ways, you've kind of had a a multifaceted, like unique experience, which I think is super cool. Um, I was actually curious about your your blood clot situation because I saw, I read about that. when checking out your page and I wondered, you know, if, if you were in training and started to notice some symptomology or if there was some kind of, you know, a blood panel that they were doing where they noticed something unusual, how did you, how did you find that? Um, so I started taking birth control. You can edit this out if you want to, because some people have a problem with it, but I started taking Nuvering and within, Oh my God, are you kidding? I was on Nuvering for 15 years. Oh my God, that's crazy. I stopped for, t- I stopped like two months ago, just stopped taking birth control. Wow. That's wild. Woman, did you just save my life? Oh my God. That's insane. So the, the craziest p- portion to this story is that, um, I, a girl I went to college with, I later found out died from the same thing that I had from taking Nuvering. So it, it's definitely really scary. Cause it, so All right. So I noticed it in training. Um, I started to have difficulty breathing. And for me, like nobody on earth, I think would have noticed this because it was so slight. It was like, I'm just taking a little bit longer to recover when I'm sprinting. Like this is not normal. But then it, I mean, exponentially got worse to the point where I couldn't carry a conversation. I went, um, I had to take a combine test, which is like, not the same as a PT test, but it's, it's basically like a battery of tests, right? Like, yeah. Like if you think of like marks. the NFL combine, yeah. it's something like along those mm-hmm. lines. Like you do sprints, you do lifting, jump throw. And so uh, I was jogging a lap for the warm up and I could not catch my breath. I could not breathe. So I was like, I guess I'm not warming up for this because I, <laughs> cause I have to do this and I, I'm not going to be able to if I do another lap. Like I essentially just stopped warming up because I'm like, I have no idea. I'm going to survived this. Um, I ended up doing well, but I mean, so our sprints are like, it's like 45 meters. That's half of a straightaway. You know, it's not far for someone who's sprinting. And so, you know, I go and I run the first sprint and I just collapse on the ground, just trying to like catch my breath. And, um, so yeah, I, I think the fact that I was in really good shape kind of one allowed me to notice it, Two, probably brought it on very quickly because I was constantly moving. And so like, you know, pushing blood clots up and up into my lungs. And 
Um, but also that I was able to survive because it, what ultimately ended up happening is I had blood clots throughout both of my lungs. They said it looked like somebody took paint and went and like a paint splattered on, on both sides of my lungs on the, on the CAT scan. And, um, one of them was on a a branch off of the main pulmonary artery. That's why I was having such a hard time breathing. And so I, I went to, I went to five doctors before I was diagnosed accurately. Cause I was like, I don't know what this is. Like I was living in Utah at the time. There were fires out there. Everything I do is the same. Could it be from this birth control? I eat the same. I train the same. You know, everything I do is the exact same. The only thing I've changed is that I started this birth control. And a lot of them, I mean, they thought I could have had like, it's crazy because I basically handed the answer on like a silver platter. I'm like, there's nothing different except there's one thing. And um, I got like given an inhaler, an antibiotic in case I had a respiratory infection. I mean, it was crazy. And so I kept going to the different doctors because I'm like, this is not right. Like I'm, you know, basically a ticking time bomb here. And so uh, I finally got diagnosed from uh, a pulmonologist. And um, it was like a a month before my season was supposed to start. And I, I went to the hospital. I was bedridden for a week. And, um, they, at the time they were like, you know, you may never be an athlete ever again. Cause we don't know if you have a blood clotting disorder or if it's strictly from this birth control. So, uh, I later found out that my classmate was on the same thing and that she ended up passing away from it. And essentially, I guess why it affects people differently. Sorry to go on a tangent about Nuvering. <laughs> no, like, so this is a big aspect of like. Valkyrie Project, you know, we take pride in incorporating female biology into the training mm-hmm. that we do, but we also, you know, try to inform our athletes as much as possible on, like, totally. these are considerations for you, so please, definitely. Um, so, Nuvering, they they basically mark it, right, that, like, okay, we have this this ring, and you it is supposed to release a steady state of hormones throughout the month but what they found in clinical trials is that they actually they can't control how much is released at once so it can depending on like i'm assuming the different batches and just people in general how it affects them it can have really like big spikes of hormone at once and that's why you hear about like pregnant women pregnant women will end up getting blood clots too because their hormones are just you know all over the place so Um, that I think is the reason why. And then I I don't know, for me, it was actually the first birth control I had ever been on first and last. (laughs) And, um, I, yeah, I think that I just was really, really lucky. Holy smokes. I'm glad I got off it. Wow. (laughs) Cause I started that. Um, I don't know if you follow Dr. Stacy Sims. We actually did a podcast with her recently. Um, but she had this seven week course online women are not small men course and basically it covers 20 years of you know research and like compilation of other data you know outside of her own studies that she's done to educate coaches and athletes on you know the differences in in female athletes and you know how we can accommodate those differences but um i i had done that podcast with her and followed her stuff and did the course and was like okay, I'm missing out on this ergogenic aid that I get during my follicular phase. I should just experiment with not being on birth control for a while and just seeing what happens. And sure enough, I got like this natural 
free pre-workout boost magical fairy dust just extra drive extra power for like two weeks of my cycle every month so I was like this is great um and obviously that means you know I'm a married person and we're not like trying to have kids right now so it becomes a situation of managing that um which is fine I mean I I'm happy to do that if it means that you know I'm getting the benefit but also you know when you think about what kind of impact putting hormones outside inside of your body that don't belong to it naturally over years and years and years that's always sat poorly with me like yeah I initially started the birth control thing when I was in high school because I had terrible acne and it was like an attempt to fix that when it, when nothing else worked but I, I never felt good about doing that for such a long time and now I'm even more glad that I stopped holy I know cow. so I never I mean I was like I was out of college. I mean, it was probably, I was in my 20, I think it's 22, 22 or 23 at the time. Um, when I first started taking it because, because I was so turned off by the fact of like altering my hormones like that. I just thought it was the strangest thing. Um, so I don't know, maybe it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy in Hawaii, but at the same time, I'm glad that it happened to me because I, I'm able to, one, share my story, hopefully save some other people some some trouble. But also now I think it's like, and I'm sure you do too, I think it's now rather than I'm depending on this pill or this device, um, then it becomes more empowering. So I've tried to like reframe that and be like, okay, I know exactly, you know, when I'm ovulating during the month and I... I'm lucky that I get my period pretty, pretty regularly. So like, I just try and use it as like, I know what's happening to me. And if you are like in a monogamous relationship and you are trying or trying to avoid getting pregnant, um, like there's, there's ways to do that. And so I think that the, there, that information is really lacking out there because I, I just feel like in general, the female population is like, well, if I don't want to get pregnant, I got to take this thing. And that's like, that's not necessarily true. You know, there's, there's ways around that. And it, and it, like I said, it's more empowering for you to be like, I know what's going on with my body and I am in control here. Yeah, absolutely agree that, you know, that is an important narrative to keep pushing. And, um, you know, I, I also coach some individual athletes outside of, you know, the, the three tracks that do our training for just the standard, like Valkyrie project membership. But, um, you know, there's always a fine line between like trying to be helpful and, you know, giving too much advice. It's like, Hey, let me like coach you on your reproductive health and like your techniques. It's, you know, it's kind of a fine line. Um, people have to kind of, in some ways, educate themselves and come to that decision themselves, I think. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, I mean, it didn't take much for me to just hear Dr. Stacey Sims say it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm missing out on some free pre-workout once a month. Heck yeah. But, um, (laughs) There was something else that you said a minute ago, like kind of jogged something I wanted to bring up. And now I'm forgetting it. Yeah, I just I learned so much from the course and um, and continuing to uh, like pay close attention and, and learn more things. But um, I think it's it's important for yeah women to have like that empowerment. But oh, I remember now I remember what I was going to say particularly for athletes, I think there's a misconception that it's a thing to be celebrated if you don't get your period because it's like, oh, I don't have to deal with that headache, but that is a sign of hormonal dysfunction. 
Yes, for it's sure. It's a sign that you're not a healthy athlete. And that's another thing I learned in that course. But it's just, it's so important to know your body well enough. Like, I feel like I went through my whole life up to very recently, like just that's that annoying once a month thing. And I can like make it less bad and not get pregnant if I take birth control. Okay, cool. And that has all shifted into this now, like whole new paradigm of like, my body's trying to tell me that things are okay or things aren't. And this is the way it does that. Like this is so much more than just like the big red button that, you know, (laughs) pregnant or not, like the big, you know, the big nuclear bomb button, like, here we go. Life change. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to have that, to have that information. Um, did you find that this is well-researched? Like this particular problem with nivering, is it well-documented or is it? So they, I think they're pretty good about <laughs> like sweeping that under the rug a bit. God, that's terrible. Um, yeah, but it was, it, I mean, it was in their clinical trials. So like that was, it, it is documented, but I mean, they don't talk about it. I think they, um, I think they, after a lawsuit, I think they had to change their packaging to say that like blood clot risk. I, I don't know if they say that it's because like the, the hormones don't release how we say they are. <laughs> um, so I'm not really sure. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Hey, if we have any listeners out there on it, I would encourage you to go do some reading for sure. Cause it's a matter of your health. That's a big deal. So, totally. so we've talked before a little bit, touched briefly on the fact that you kind of always had this drive to do the military thing. I'm curious, was there any, a big push like towards army based on like family? Did you have family that was in the military and that made you inspired to do it? Or was it just more of a natural fit kind of thing? Uh, I think it was a natural fit. And then um, I have a a funny story about like my high school and middle school, they were, they were combined, like they were on separate ends of a building, but they shared um, a cafeteria. You never really interacted with the high schoolers, but um the recruiter came to the high school as they do. And there was like a push-up contest going on. And I, I don't know, I, I had to be like 12 years old or something at this time. And I was like, I'm going to enter this push-up contest. <laughs> and, but I, the only way they would let you enter is if you signed your name. And so I was like, sure, I'll put my name down. And the recruiter came to my house and my dad answers the door and he's like, did he freak <laughs> out? Oh my God. Well, and the recruiter's like, I'm here to see Megan. And they, my dad's like, what <laughs> like Megan is not 18 and so um he came in and talked to me anyway and that I think kind of probably stuck with me because he came in and he was like I'm obviously not gonna be someone who's fulfilling his quota anytime soon so um I kind of appreciated that I appreciated that he took the time to do that and um I don't know. I always just kind of was drawn to the army after that. Like I said, like I considered uh, army ROTC and um, I, I like I did look into the other branches, but I really wanted my job guaranteed to me. I didn't want to like, I don't know, join and end up doing something I absolutely hated because I knew that I wanted. I mean, this is before I didn't before I knew about skeleton. I knew I wanted a federal job at some point. I like, I knew that that's kind of where I was going to go. And so I wanted things to support that. <laughs> so. Gotcha. 
it's funny how it seems a similar like theme between the two of us anyway, you know, already having shared a name, but uh, <laughs> that it didn't occur to you to really do it until someone like, like you didn't almost believe in yourself really that you could do it until someone believed in you first. It's kind of an interesting paradigm. Like it was a similar situation for me where I was coming out of like, I was basically almost done with my bachelor's degree and the military had never been on the radar, even though a whole bunch of males in my family had done it. And even my grandmother had done the air force. It was just never something that was in the cards until, you know, someone in my life was like, well, I mean, probably be some good money to at least like join the guard and do it one weekend a month until you can find a real job, like a full-time job. And I was like, oh, service. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, patriotism. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Why didn't I think of that? And then fast forward a little, a couple of years and man, I like was on active duty and flying and stuff. Like it just, it, my life has come into so many different directions that I never imagined before because of that. And it's, it kind of makes it fun too, to take those opportunities to mentor younger people, but especially women towards like, no, that's not a cliche. Not just like, you can do anything. You can literally do anything. You should consider it all because it's there for you, especially in the year 2020. Totally. I know. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's still that, like, yes, the military is a, a male dominant uh, avenue. That's a male dominant, uh, you know, career path, I suppose. But I don't know, there's so many cool things that females have done across the military that, uh, like you said, it really is available to you if if you want it's it's yeah definitely and that's who really that's who we that's who we wanted to serve when we started this whole thing the valkyrie project like hey ladies like surprise you can do any job in the military now we'll help you get fit (laughs) check it out um so before you did before you became part of the um were Army World Class Athletes program, what were you doing? Were you doing MI as an officer, since that's what you did as an NCO? Or? Um, so I actually didn't commission until a couple of years ago. So I'm a first lieutenant now. Um, so I, I was enlisted up to staff sergeant. And um, I was at an engineer battalion where they really didn't. I was the only intel soldier. So they did not really know what to do with me, which kind of also like pushed me to commission because I was like, what am I doing with my career? <laughs> um, and then now I am at European Command, which has been like super legit. Um, I've gotten to go and work at Arteros in Stuttgart. And um, it's very cool. It's so cool. And so uh, the the difficulty in being an athlete is that it like, yes, I'm still expected to maintain my career. Like, you know, I got to go to all the schools and I have to check those boxes, do all the trainings, but I do miss out on like on the job training. That's, that's the really hard part for me, especially now being an officer, like I'm really kind of out of the loop and I've had like barely even dipped my toe in like being an XO. But then when I'm done being an athlete, like I'm going to have to take command, but I've been like, completely out of my job, you know? And so I would say that that's like the only downside is that it's hard to make both 
much like anything, like the, there's a book called the one thing, like it's really hard to be super awesome at two things. So like for me, yeah, it's a blessing for me to be able to represent the army and compete for team USA, but it's almost like, okay, I'm doing this knowing that me being an athlete is really short lived. Like there's a, there's definitely an expiration date on that. Um, and that comes just from me getting older, but also that's just kind of how the life cycle of an athlete works. Like even I, I still think you could go like until you were 40 probably and be competing or go. I've seen people who are late thirties that go to ranger school as, as a woman. But, um, I think as the recruiting cycle kind of goes on as an athlete, people quote unquote age out. So I know that that's ending and that, um, it sucks for my military career right now, but I trust my stick and, you know, ability to communicate with people and learn. I, I, I think I can learn quickly. I think I'm a really coachable person. So it makes me nervous in a way to be like, uh, I got to go and take command and I have literally not done my job ever. Um, but at the same time, you know, I just will face that as, as, as a challenge. I can understand how frustrating that would be, um, especially when, you know, taking command. There's certainly expectations that people have, and you know, it was the same when I was in aviation land and the same in PSYOP. So are you, are you still doing MI then, or a yeah. different? Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm MI. Um, one of my friends actually is going through PSYOPs training now, a male, and he's like, you have to come and you have to go over to PSYOPs. And I was like, well, like I'm going to be like 35 or 34 by the time I can do that. So are you, I mean, I guess the good news is, you know, as having been an MI NCO prior, you're probably better prepared than most lieutenants would be for that command, even if they had been sitting in the seat, because a lot of them end up, and much like I ended up, relying pretty heavily on my NCOIC that had been in, or my platoon sergeant that had been in for a while. Um, even though, you know, I unfortunately didn't have like the best experiences all the time, but uh, you're probably, you know, set up better than you think. I, w- I would think, you well, know, cause you've done I mean, the job as a, as a Joe, so to speak. But I like, I barely, I could, I could like so much of that stuff is like, you know, gone from the depths of my brain because it's been so long. So I think luckily I'm hoping also that like one of the reasons why I didn't uh, commission right away was because I wanted the experience of being an enlisted soldier before and I, and I wasn't totally certain that I would switch. I really love the NCO culture and the enlisted. So I was I wasn't convinced that I would switch over, but um I'm hoping that and my intention with that was that I would be a more relatable leader because I have previous, you know, prior enlisted experience. And so, you know, I'm I trust that when I go into that um, a position of command or whatever it may be that I'll be able to navigate that. I can probably relate to, you know, my NCOs or whomever pretty well. So basically I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust myself to figure it out. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like some of the best experiences I've had in the military had always been just jump in head first, you know, put your face in that fire hose and just (laughs) go with it. Like, 
And I think if you're like, if you're honest with people, the thing that I have a hard time with is like, whether that's in sports or in the military or anywhere, when people try to, when they're not honest, like I feel like when somebody doesn't know what's going on and they're pretending like they do, it's like, man, just tell us. Like, yeah. Yes. So I feel like if you're honest in those situations or you can be like, hey, I don't really know what's going on. Uh, can you catch me up to speed? Or um, I really like your input. I think that's huge as a leader to be like, I really value your input because clearly you have more experience than me in this. <laughs> you know, I think. Yeah. That's huge. And I think that that particular attitude, you know, as as a person who had, you know, had experience as a senior captain and whatnot, like, yeah, that's going to serve you really well, I think. And it's if not just for the sake of sort of checking your ego at the door and showing up as an eager to learn, you know, officer and leader, I think it really shows your subordinates that you have faith in them, which is so, so important. And I've also been, you know, a person that had to work under really micromanaging leaders or leaders that just like would not trust us to do our job. And I think that you get so much back from your people when you give that to them that like, yeah, I'm, I'm completely the same way. Like when I got to flight school, I'm real, I'll never forget the first time I tried to like put in a pass. Like I didn't know how to do it. They were just like, well, just take your paper up to the company and then give it to the, the guy sitting at the desk. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm just like, somebody's going to body slam me. I'm going to do it wrong. <laughs> What's happening. And I just like walk in there with like that first butter bar, like confused look on my face, like, who do I give my pass to? <laughs> and this, um, this dude that was like on holdover for the Warren Officer Candidate School was like working staff duty. And he's like, ma'am, do you, do you need some help? And I like grabbed my rank and showed it to him. And I was like, look at this. This means I'm an idiot and I need your help. Yes, please. What do I do with this paper? But like that. <laughs> I mean, maybe I was a little excessively self-deprecating at times, but for the most part, I think humility got me really far. And it certainly got me a lot more help than I realized was available from people that I did not expect help from. Hmm. Um, nobody likes a brand new officer that just walks in there like they know everything. Yeah. Like, even other officers don't like it. They're like, Ugh, shut up, you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> So what is what is life like for you right now? Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're married with a little one, right? No, I'm not. My my brother is, so I'm an aunt. I don't have a little one. I have a niece. I keep seeing pictures of the, your nephew, then I guess, or your niece, mm-hmm. your niece. And for some reason, I thought she was yours. No, I just okay. adore her. Okay. She, I mean, she could be mine because she's an absolute lunatic, but <laughs> I love her. <laughs> awesome. So what are you what are you doing to stay busy during COVID right now? Um, like so able to train at all? I mean, like so at the Olympic Training Center, um, at the state of New York had to close, you know, all gyms. So that includes the Olympic Training Center where they fall under that. And so the gyms closed. Even the cafeteria at the Olympic Training Center is closed because it's considered a restaurant. So um, it's very bizarre times. Yes. I'm so glad that they postponed the summer games because those athletes deserve so much better than 
having to be like scared out of their minds. Am I going to get this while I travel over there? I'm so glad they postponed that. So you feel it for the for the Summer Olympic athletes. And I think everyone is just like heartbroken by that because it's such a thing to look forward to. How does this impact your season and your training outside of just like access to the gym? Does this like have a longer term impact for you? Um, so I, I mean, much like everybody, I think all of that's really up in the air. And I mean, so usually our season starts in October, but they've even talked about, you know, this season not potentially not starting till January. I, I don't know. I guess it depends on like if there's a second wave of this in the fall and like it's just it's pretty wild. Um so my um I my grandmother actually passed away from coronavirus um last week. And Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it was it, it was horrible to witness and like it's just a totally weird time right now for everybody. Um one because like she had nobody by her side. And even if we were, she's in Louisiana, but even if we were there, we couldn't go see her. And then um, we saw like a 10 minute ceremony over Facebook live for her burial. And like that in itself is like, what in the world is going on? But as far as like my, my training goes, I I think I'm trying to look at it as, um, this is an opportunity, especially on the mental side, because um, a lot of people are like freaking out, like, oh, my God, I can't train. But it's like that for everybody, man. Like if across the board, nobody can train how they normally would, which is why I'm happy that the Olympics were postponed. Can you imagine having an Olympic Games where people were training in their living room, doing bodyweight squats for three months? Like, you know what I mean? It just wouldn't have been like that's not what those athletes deserve. And so yeah. um and nor would it be that exciting to watch, like how many world records are going to break, you know, like stuff like that. It's just going to be, this will be really, really different. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, like the only thing that happened for, for skeleton and bobsled was that our national championships were canceled. Not really a huge deal. And then, uh, yeah, the, the, the training is, you have to adapt to that. And I think, um, one good thing about like being in the military is that you, you have to learn that you have to learn to be adaptable adapt adapt to your surroundings like look this is what it is this is a situation I'm gonna have to change how I train but I also want to use this as an opportunity to become more mentally tough and how can I go about doing that and so um you know it's a really rough time for everybody it's really really different it's so easy to get lost in the news the death count the you know all of that is so easy to get lost in. And I'm not saying like everybody needs to take this opportunity to be better. Cause I think nobody's been through this. So there's no right or wrong. Like if, if yeah, you, there's no precedent right. for especially our generation. Yeah. So you like, you're not expected to come out of this and like, I don't know, be fluent in a new language or something crazy. Like, you know, nobody's expecting that of you. But uh, for me personally, I think it helps me to, to be able to shift my mindset. Cause in the beginning, like um, even before my, my grandmother was diagnosed with it, I was freaking out, like looking at 
the stats and reading the news. And so like I had to change and be like, look, I'm not looking at the news anymore. I limit how much I look on social media, particularly Facebook. I think Facebook is where you like really can scroll and see a bunch of stuff that's so negative. So I'm like, okay, I'm limiting my consumption of this information. I'm not being ignorant. I'm very aware of what's going on. But for me, like, this really, really affected me. Like I lost my, my family member from this. So it's not like I have no clue what's going on or, or the potential, but for me, it makes my, my life easier to be like, this is this thing that's going on. I cannot change it. So, uh, what, what can I do to, to be generous with myself to manage this situation better? Uh, and I think, you know, I would advise that for other people just be like, be gracious with yourself in this time and just, you know, try and try and figure out what works best for you to, to make this something that is, um, not necessarily life changing. Like you come out your best self, like nobody expects that of you, but if you can try and turn this into some sort of an opportunity for yourself, then so be it. And that could be like, okay, I'm going to go walk outside in nature one time a week. Mm -hmm. Like it could be something easy as that. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that advice. And I can't tell you how many times I have worked with people who much like myself really, you know, are self proclaimed high performers that hold themselves to a really high standard. And so it's also really easy to be hard on yourself, especially in times when things are difficult. And it's an active practice in daily recognizing the things to be grateful for and acknowledging I have control over certain things, but not other things. Uh, we recently did a podcast, which I still haven't published yet. I'm so, like, looking forward to doing this because Corona has made things weird. And, like, my husband is my number one, like, tech editor. And he's been, like, out of arm's reach for a while. But anyway, we'll get it out there. Um, with Cecilia Kraft, who is a mental performance coach. Oh, awesome. And she's recently started doing short um, mental performance coaching, like, blurbs that are about... 30 seconds to a minute, maybe two minutes. And I've been sharing them from my uh, Valkyrie project, Facebook page, but essentially the most recently, the most recent one she put out in the last couple days was, you know, imagine a three foot space where you put your arm out, right. And that's, this is your radius and you just draw a circle and you have a three foot radius all around you. And like, that's just about as much control as you have in the whole entire <laughs> world. Like everything else is, is outside your reach. So that anything outside that becomes a let it go, let it go. Cause you just, you know, you can't like, you can't I like that. sacrifice your bandwidth to things that just aren't part of your control. So I would say, you know, yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I would also offer that. I don't remember who came up with this concept, but I've loved it for years. Um, the, the concept of when W I N what's important now, like, Maybe you're normally a star athlete, not just you specifically, you know, Meg Henry, but everyone out there. Maybe you're normally a rock star stud and you just don't have access to a squat rig right now. And it has to be okay and it has to be enough that you can do some air squats in your living room yeah. or go take a walk. Like what's important right now? Take care of your immune system. Take care of your family. Mm. Be there for your community as much as you can, Right support some small businesses and wash your damn hands. If you're leaving the house, like what else can you do? 
Yeah. You know, exactly. and, and what's important right now? Is it, is it like crucial for me to be in the best shape of my life right now? Definitely not. I mean, thankfully not because I just had like super invasive knee surgery, but like, okay. you know what I mean? So that's even <laughs> more like, yeah, that has added even more. I think that that surgery took my three foot circle and turned it into like a two and a half two foot <laughs> circle. Like, man, I'm just, you know, I can't walk right now and it's okay. It's going to be fine. So I think we're all just, I think everyone's for the most part, just doing the best they can with what they have. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I'm, that's all you can expect from somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I look forward to 20 years from now, re-listening to these Corona age podcasts oh and being like, remember that time? Seriously. Uh, Weird times. So bonkers. So bonkers. Well, if, if some of our listeners are interested in following what you've got going on, where can, where can they find you? So, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at the Savage Meglet. (laughs) I love that handle. I'm so sad. I didn't think of that myself. (laughs) I could have used it. It's so good. You have a Facebook athlete page, which is my full name, Megan Henry. Um, and I have a website, which is also meganhenry.us. And you guys should also check out the sport of skeleton. Um, <laughs> I was not super familiar with it, honestly. Um, cause I'm, I've always been kind of like a summer sports enthusiast, but I went and checked it out and it's pretty badass. It's like a human being like goes plummeting down an ice luge in just like on their little metal sled. Yep. <laughs> Not even in case like in bobsled. It's just you on a sheet of metal flying down the ice. It looks incredibly dangerous and also insanely fun. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. I kind of want to try it once my knees healthy. Yes, definitely. Everybody come try it in Lake Placid. You can also do it in Park City, but I'm predominantly in Lake Placid. So Sweet. That's a great movie. That's an alligator one, right? Yeah. Betty White feeding the alligators. Classic. I have to put that on my like Netflix COVID to watch list. <laughs> so the last question I want to ask you, Miss Miss Savage Meg, is, um, you know, there's there's female military athletes out there um, on the cusp of greatness. And the only thing in their way is maybe a small thing. Uh, maybe it's a confidence issue. Maybe it's... Um, who knows? Maybe it's a lack of self-belief. Maybe it's just like a small degree of like additional training or just a little bit more experience before they're ready for those things. What advice would you give to, you know, women that are doing, doing this female military leader thing? What would you say to them? Um, well, I would say like having nerves and self-doubt and, you know, feeling like you don't have confidence, all of that stuff is totally normal. The best athletes in the world, like UFC champions, all of them feel that everybody experiences that whether it's like literally being an athlete or whether you're doing something in the military. Um, that's completely normal. And you're not going to, sorry to say, I don't have a solution on how to get rid of that. But the good thing is, I think one, knowing that you are not the only person that experiences that is to me, really comforting. Um, but also confidence is not a feeling it's an action. So I think that, um, people are like, well, when I feel confident, I'm going to go and do this. And that that's probably not going to come right. Because, uh, 
it's just not really a natural thing. Your 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 natural self talk and how your brain functions is unfortunately mostly kind of leans towards the negative. So you can do stuff on your own to change that with you know positive self talk. Uh, I say I I literally talk to myself. I have affirmations and stuff that I say to try and like reprogram my subconscious in a way of like this is how I want to view myself and it's okay that I'm nervous for this because it, it means that it's important to me. So like, I guess just learning kind of how to rephrase that, but knowing that feeling that way is completely normal. And it would be weird if you didn't feel that way. <laughs> so I think that knowing that it's not normal to feel confident, but you can certainly do stuff to change that. And that can really, that can be as simple as I, I know I heard this, uh, I forget what podcast I heard this on, but people have talked about it. Stand, doing like the superwoman pose, like standing with your arms, uh, your your fists. Oh your yeah, the, she did like the the TED talk. It's it's like yeah. um, positive body posturing type thing, like it, powerful body like poses, stuff yeah. like that. Like doing stuff like that, stand like st- changing your posture, smiling, um, stuff that's super simple that can just change um, your mood and your feelings, but also yeah, re kind of directing your thoughts. That's huge. Cause like you have a, another person inside your head that's talking all the time. And so being able to be like, Oh, nope, stop one second. She is always throwing shade. Isn't she like, <laughs> I know. I'm on the starting line right now. You are not helping. <laughs> exactly. Um, so sorry to go on a tangent, but I think knowing that it's an action. It's not a feeling. You can you can do things to change that. Um, it takes practice. Some of those things are not intuitive. Some people they don't like talking to themselves um, or you know starting their day saying affirmations and stuff. But it's not normal to just naturally feel confident. And um, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Really, really successful people and athletes at the highest level at even before like winning an Olympic medal, they still are nervous. Like there's still nerves and, and doubt and question. And they may come to a moment of clarity and like being really calm, but still leading up to that event, they still, they're still worried. They still have that. So that's my advice. (laughs) I love it. And that ties so neatly into other things that we've covered in this podcast. I don't know if you've had a chance to check them out, but we've sat down and talked with Mark England twice. Oh, nice. Mike, Mark, Mark England of Procabulary, who essentially is an expert in helping coach people through redirecting their thoughts um, and deconstructing their negative self-talk so that they can be more productive. So um, definitely recommend anyone that hasn't listened to it yet to check those out. But I did want to say thank you so much, Miss Megan Henry, for being here. It's been an honor to get to chat with you. And, you know, I hope that you continue driving on in the military because it needs leaders like you for sure. (laughs) Stick around. I'm excited to see what's going to come out of this in the next couple of years. Thank you. I appreciate that. And as always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shout-outs, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as ValkyrieProjectUS, so be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. 
Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.